0: Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. This is my dad, Ted.
1: Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Knightsky. About a month ago, I was in a packed auditorium in Orlando, Florida and waiting for a keynote speaker to begin. I sat there wondering, wonder what the message will be and I hope the speaker is good or at least engaging. Well, then Marcus took the stage. Within two minutes, I leaned over to a colleague of mine and said, hey, he's got to be on the podcast. That thought was solidified when Marcus matter-of-factly said, we're all facing three storms, the one coming, the one we're in, and the one we just got out of. <laughs> I loudly said, and each of them we have to charge into. Everybody looked at me like I was a little nuts, but I'm used to that. Here we are. Learning through the life experiences of someone who is extraordinary in his ordinary element, Marcus Allen. Marcus is someone who is a buffalo and he didn't even know it. He leads with intentionality, charges into his storms, and has been surrounded by people who have helped him live through a lot of these storms. As you listen to this conversation with Marcus and me, listen for the scenes in his life where others have stepped in and shifted his journey. Listen to his advocacy, listen to his empathy, and finally, hear his smile i mean you can actually hear my new friend marcus smile when he speaks take a listen welcome to the smart thinking podcast my name is ted Knightsky, and i'm your host and today i have with me a pretty cool guy that i saw at a conference in florida his name is marcus allen he lives in pennsylvania And uh, I'm really excited to have him here. And we're going to hear lots about him in a second. Marcus, welcome to the podcast.
2: It's great to be here, Ted. Great to see you again.
1: Yeah. So, Marcus, you sparked a few things in me. And uh, as longtime listeners of the podcast know, we've we've got a mindset around here about buffaloes. But let's let's get to know you because I thought you were uh, really good uh, when you spoke. I thought you were so vulnerable and genuine. And What I think the teachers and leaders who listen to the Smart Thinking podcast could really benefit from is just kind of hearing about day one of Marcus Allen on the planet Earth and uh, who you are, what you've overcome and just the awesome role of your mom. So share with us, Marcus, like what was your birthday like?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I've never uh, been asked that question. What was your birth, your real birthday? Right. First day, day one um that i remember so vividly no Um, Uh, (laughs) according to my mom uh you know when i when i came in and and she said i was a blessing to her um uh i there there was a number of challenges and but before i talk about it let me just talk a little bit about my mom my mom is this amazing black woman I know your listeners can't see me I don't know if I sound black or not I don't know what that means but uh, <laughs> uh, she's this amazing black woman who uh, happened to be raised down south in the 60s and 70s in abject poverty and in this system of oppression and racism as you as even to this day if you go where I I grew up at, um, it's almost like you're stepping back in time 30 or 40 years. So you imagine being in the seventies and feeling like you're stepping back 30, 40 years. So now you're in the forties and fifties. Right. Um, and so there was just a mindset there that they just didn't embrace diversity like we do today. And so um, she was faced with a number of challenges. In addition to the fact that she didn't graduate from high school, and didn't have an education and came from parents who didn't even make it to high school. Um, so, um, uh, Fast forward, you know, she's young and has a has a child at 24 years old and is coming off an episode of being homeless and no, no, no health insurance. And the doctor tells her this baby that she's so happy to have has physical challenges. And uh, in order to remedy uh, part of those challenges, uh, the, uh, a surgery was needed, but she didn't have the money. Nor insurance to cover it, so I was never, never as a child able to get a surgery in which the doctor told her because I didn't get the surgery that she had a son that would never really walk properly, would have a limp, and probably wouldn't play sports the rest of his life. Right? Seriously. And so, um, so coming into this world with with those challenges uh, is, uh, to say the least, very humbling. And then on top of that, to to be born in a life of poverty, a generational poverty. Like it's one thing to be poor. It's another thing to be, you know, second, third, fourth generation of poverty, right? Um, because then there's certain mentalities that are set in um that are hard to shake. And so I had to compete with those types of mentalities that came from well-meaning people, but it was a poverty mentality that I didn't know was a poverty mentality until I got older. Right. Uh, I'll just give you one example or poverty mentality was, hey, when you graduate from high school, like we want you to graduate, so you can hurry up and get this job down here at the factory, right? And if you can get to making $12 an hour, you made it, right? Poverty mentality. Um, And so, um, and then also, you know, by the age of five, I had uh, this, uh, some kind of disease, um, uh, some kind of skin, Irritation disease set in, and it was eating through my, this, my scalp and, and my face. And I had to wear a, band- a bandana around my face to go to school because it looks like my nose was riding off, and I still have scars in my head, up on top of it, and on the side uh, that challenged me as a child. Um, and then at the age of 10, my uncle was killed in front of me. Um, and then just you know j- you know just witness a lot growing up in the projects right. I grew up in the project. Well, I was born in the projects of Atlanta, and then ended up doing uh, being raised mostly um, in rural Georgia, in Thompson, Georgia, a town of about six thousand people. So I tell people all the time, I got, I got a chance to experience both urban poverty and rural poverty. And if I had to choose between the two, I would choose urban poverty <laughs> uh, because of rural poverty is like desolate. It's like, you know, even with the kids we work with here in Philadelphia, even though they have major challenges, the resources are available. When you're in a rural area, like everybody's poor. Like, you know, like you don't see Rolls Royces and Porsches and all that stuff. Like everybody's poor. As a matter of fact, to this day in Thompson, Georgia, where I was raised, 100% of the people over 60 live in poverty. That's wow. the stat. A hundred percent of people over 60. So that tells you probably just about everybody is probably on some sort of fixed income using social security and all of that stuff. Right. So that's the environment that, that I was raised, raised in Ted. Um, but as you heard me say on the stage, I didn't know, I, I didn't know that was poverty. Well, I, I did know in some sense at, at a certain age, you know, cause you know, I heard a comedian say, like, we, you know, we were we weren't poor, we were poor, right? Because we couldn't even afford the other O and R, right? <laughs> um, so like so we were like a step below the regular poor people. And and that you did feel, right? And you know, kids can be cruel when you have, you know, holes in your shoes and you don't have new clothes and all of that stuff. And so, but my mom, she did an awesome job of like my two siblings, my brother and sister, I was the oldest of three, um, really instilling in us like values like Christ, we uh, we had to go to church every, every Sunday, we were Christians. Um, You know, it was all about like, do good by your neighbors, always treat people as you want to be treated. Uh, And it was very serious to the point that if you don't follow this, then it was there was, there was a belt waiting for you if you didn't follow the values <laughs> that were outlaid for you uh by both my my mom and my grandmother and my grandfather but uh yeah that that's 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 kind of that that birthday uh the start to to this life that I had to
1: so by the time you are a sixth or seventh grader you have you have charged through all of those different pieces and that that's the part where uh talk to me a little bit in a, I I well I'll stop here for a second what do you do now? And then I'm going to back up my question.
2: So now, you know, I get the opportunity uh, to, to work with young people and families who are dealing with the issues of poverty. Um, I am currently the CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters Independence. Um, we serve um, the greater Philadelphia region as well as Southern New Jersey. We're the third largest Big Brothers Big Sisters affiliate in the country. We serve about 3,700 kids. And, and our mission is to put a caring, compassionate adult in the life of children uh, to help them achieve their full potential, right? To live up to their promise and their potential. And so um, this organization has been doing this type of work for over a hundred years. And mentoring, I think what you're alluding to, you know, has a special place for me. And, and so I am blessed in that I get a chance to go and help kids who, for the most part, look like me, right? They, they, they in some sense of the word, right? They going through similar cha- uh, challenges. They have similar backgrounds, um, and and they have potential. And 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 I tell people all the time to say, "Well, Marcus, how did you make it out? Like you must like ah, it, it's amazing that you made it out, and you're you, you're the person you are." And and and, and my thought to that is. No, there's nothing special about me. I'm unique because there's only one Marcus Allen, whether you believe it or not, there's only one Marcus Allen. (laughs) Uh, And and I was lucky enough to have people and, and, and situations and circumstances that allowed me to achieve my potential, right? And oftentimes we judge people by the environment they're in versus what's inside of them. And yeah, I think of the analogy, um, and, you know, you know, and, and Ted, you're doing this work, too, in, in Milwaukee and across the country as we think about the challenges kids face in education, K through 12, um, oftentimes people judge the kid by the environment, but they wouldn't do that. Like I grew up, we used to have gardens and we would grow flowers and all that stuff. You would never say that's a bad flower, Right you would say the soil must need to be watered or fertilized or tilled so that the flower can actually be as beautiful and grow as big as it can. Right. But we take a different approach with kids and we say the kid is the challenge, not the environment that the kid is trying to grow up in. Right. right And we do all of these things and we put all of these things like, you know, well, we need to, you know, have like, you know, we we, we we become more stringent when we talk about, you know, juvenile justice. Right. Instead of trying to make kids better, we 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 punish them thinking that I don't know what we think that's going to do. Um, I know what it's going to do. It's just going to make the situation worse. Right. Um, we, we disinvest in the schools that need us the most. Right. We do stuff like here in Philadelphia, where. The amount of dollars that go into funding for school is based on the, the property taxes of the people who live in that community. That's the stupidest stuff ever, right? Like, so you're saying because you are raised in this poor, this environment that is stricken with poverty, that you can't get as much funding because you don't pay as much in taxes. And we know that most times in, 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 in areas, zip codes that uh, live under the poverty line, They are mostly renters, not homeowners. So their ability to pay taxes is going to be compromised compared to the suburbs around them. So now kids around, and and we know America is all about competition, right? So now kids who come from low-income communities start out way behind kids who are in the suburban areas, right, at least here in Pennsylvania. And so I am, I, I, I'm just asking that our elected officials and our leaders think about treating the environment and then the flower will take care of itself.
1: Yeah. So I want to, I want to talk about that for a second, Marcus. And that's where I was going. And I appreciate that very much because, um, so I have three leadership beliefs for people who work with children. One is they need to be Buffalo leaders, which we'll talk about in a second. Two, that we need people who are are blind advocates for the underdog, And three, that we recognize that every child is an oak nut, fallen far from a tree, hit the ground hard. But our job is not to create the perfect conditions around that nut, just like with your flower analogy, but it is to make sure that the ingredients into its future success, the soil, the opportunities are there for those kids. So in these environments, especially challenging environments in your life, especially as we talked about, you got to like sixth, seventh grade, you know, skin issues, developmental issues, poverty issues, um, all the cyclical things that you spoke to. In these challenging environments, there are amazing people who need fuel. And what what I want to know from you is who are a couple of those people when you were a kid, teachers, coaches, grandmas, aunts, who are some of those people, but more importantly, not just their names, but what did they do to, to create the conditions for you so that your soil had the fertilizer to allow you to grow to be a professional basketball player, a successful nonprofit CEO, uh, a good person? What what do they do and who are they? Thank you for asking
2: that because I'm always happy to talk about those people because they bring a smile to my face. Um, you know, you know, besides, you know, I talked about my mom, my grandfather, who um he was really a big part of it because my mom was struggling in Atlanta and he was the one that kind of forced my mom's hand to take her kids off the streets of Atlanta when we were homeless and took us to this poor, um I mean, to this rural area. Um, and, and he was just all, he was the first man, um, role model that I had to look up to. Now he wasn't perfect. My grandfather was tough. I mean, he, you know, he didn't. His vocabulary wasn't that great, but he knew how to cuss. Um, and and he was respected by people in that community because he didn't take no stuff. Right. Um, what what is this? What, what's your grandfather's name? His name is Casper Hamilton. We called him boot Casper boot. B-O-O-T and yeah, like everybody call him boot. Uh, he, he was t- he was like he, he had got drafted. I think it was World War Two and he didn't want to go right. And he was on a ship in New York and he was shipping out. This guy jumps off of the ship, swims ashore, and like he's like, nope, I'm not doing it. Right. And uh they, they later called him. He, he spent just a little bit of time. He just was he 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 was a conscientious uh uh dissenter. He he didn't believe in going and, and killing people and fighting for causes he didn't believe in. Um and you know, but he was that guy. He was gonna do stuff his own way. Um, uh, but he loved his family. And so he was one of the first ones who had an impression on me. Um I, I think he not I think he would say to me that I was soft, right? He said, You gotta stop being so sensitive and you gotta, you know, yeah, you know, this is you know, he's old school, right? You know, um he's born in the in thirties, forties. Um and and so um he was just a tough, tough man um, that was hard for me to connect with him. But now that I look back and my mom said, like, he loved me more than anything. And so he poured into me. Uh, but my first mentor was uh, this this black man uh, who had gone off to college, came back, wanted to give back to his community, became a police officer and then a coach uh, uh, for for young kids. And he was my coach when I was trying to play football at the age of 10, 12. And, Remember when I was born, the doctor said I would never play sports. So I was not expecting to be good or even be able to play. And he pulled me side one day, and he could see my frustration. And he said, "Marcus, listen." Uh, he's trying to give me the pep talk. And he said, "Listen, you don't have to be the strongest, the fastest, the most talented." He said, "But what you can always do is outwork people. Don't ever let anyone ever outwork you." And for whatever reason, he took, you know, like he took a liking to me, and 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 from that day, that time of my life, he was he's been with me my entire life. Right. And he was the first black man that intentionally talked about getting a college degree. And I remember and this is a true story Ted. me and three of my buddies were in the bathroom, I was in fifth grade. And we were you know, as kids, you know, we, I, don't, I don't know why we would we were in the bathroom for so long. And we were talking about like dreaming what we wanted to do or become when we became adults. So one guy said, Fran, my best friend said that he was gonna be a millionaire. Uh, Rodney Johnson said uh, that he was gonna get this Corvette. Um, Victor, remember we are like 10 years old. So, you know, we, we don't have big dreams here. <laughs> um, Victor said, that he was gonna be built. And what he meant by that, like we used to like love to watch wrestling back in the day. So he was gonna have muscles and all of this stuff, right? And uh, and he 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 he's the farthest thing ever from muscles. Like he was pudgy then and he's pudgy now.
1: <laughs> and we'll make, sure, I said, we'll make sure to send this episode to him. <laughs> and I said
2: that I was gonna to go to college. And I said that because of my conversation with this this man who was was my mentor at the time. And all three of them bust out laughing. As Mm -hmm. if it was more probable for them to become millionaires and for Vic to become built,
1: (laughs) right? Right, and get Corvettes.
2: Right, right. And and I had the audacity to say that I was going to go to college. And the only reason, as I think about this, that I said that was because my mentor said it. He planted a seed in my head and my heart that just never left me like that seed went against what my mom and and my family was telling me about what it meant to be successful. What it meant to be successful is graduate from high school and get a good job. And so uh, to me, that that's the the type of impact. And it doesn't take a whole lot um, that. You know people in your village can provide that you just never know what you are saying and or doing that is changing the trajectory of the life of a child now it doesn't always work out like you know there are right. a lot of kids who came up from families who were well-to-do uh middle class and, and they end up on drugs and, and worse right yeah so i as we we're talking i don't want your listeners to think that i'm putting this story out there like saying that because you had to go through these obstacles and challenges. That that meant that because you 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 overcame that, it makes you better than someone else, right? What was
1: right, and I 100 percent agree. With, what what was that coach's name? Uh, Willie Williams. So, Coach Williams, let me let me break this down for you and, and grace me for a moment on this. So. Here, here's something that we talk about all the time in, in the importance of being a leader. So Marcus, my definition of a leader is anyone who has influence over another person. And there are two qualities of great leaders. They are empathetic at all times, putting themselves in the position of the people that they're looking in their eyes. And the second thing is that they're reflective about where their actions are and how intentional they are in their days, because every moment of every day, we can change the direction of another person's life by just leading. Mm-hmm. And, and I want you to think about this for a moment. Had coach Williams in that moment decided not to tell you that you just need to outwork everybody else. And had he not presented for you a pathway and had he not been intentional about his relationship with you, who knows where the fates would have taken us. Right. Right. And that's why like being a Buffalo leader and charging into the storm, which which you had said something that just I immediately felt a connection to you. Every moment of every day, you can't have a bad day when you work with little people. You right. can't have a bad day when you serve others. Now you can have a bad moment, but you got to pivot quick because one positive affirmation, one thing like boo, your grandpa saying, like, hey, you got a man up in this moment because this is where, and you might be soft and sensitive to him, but now you're being taught, like, okay, there are certain circumstances where, you know, I, I have to step into this storm or I have to do this. Like I believe that no one has permission to kind of give up on themselves or others. And if they do, they need to kind of walk away so that they don't send somebody in the wrong direction because your story just now, you and your buddies in the bathroom, right? So that that's the opposite of me growing up white in a small city in Wisconsin where, you know, the, Whoa, you were expect high school. Well, you were expected to do one, three, four, and five. And you got laughed at if you said, well, I'm going to get a Corvette. Like that's it. Like right. the right. pharmacist has a Corvette but it's those people that we intentionally, unintentionally run into over the course of our lives that makes such a big difference. And that's why like coach Williams for you, or the, just the different characters in our, in our narratives over the course of our lives are so important. And that's why your mission today, I think is just so phenomenal. So at, at the next thing I wanted to ask you was tell us a little bit about going to college and then post-college, like the opportunities that you faced and, and just the the new challenges that you got to charge into
2: yeah what, what, what I'll say is and you in your statement below uh, before this made me think of this as we were talking about going to college I made this statement about like this 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 poor mentality right and when yeah. it comes from generations of poverty and being exposed to people who think bigger than you is so important. Right. It's so important. And when I got to college, you know, here it was, you know, I didn't think I was going to be able to afford to go to college. And before I went to college, Ted, I don't know if you noticed, I went to boot camp for the army. Right. So I I, I my, my after my level grade year, um, you know, I'm thinking, what are my prospects here? How am I going to get to college? And I see this uh, friend telling me about this advertisement of the, the GI Bill. And it says it'll help you go to college and then give you $350 a month. At that time, that was a lot of money for me. It
1: was a lot of money. Yeah. 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 What year year did you graduate from
2: high school? 90, 1990. Right. And so I ended up joining the army before my senior year with the commitment to the army saying that I would go to boot camp after I graduated my senior year and do six years of national guard, army national guard. So um I ended up doing that and then my senior year, I became pretty good in basketball and earned a, a scholarship actually to go to college to Payne College a black the HBCU historically black college and university in Augusta Georgia um, and play for this man coach Ron Spry who was similar to my grandfather right mm-hmm. and and one of the things is Uh, and, and many of our young Black boys deal with this, when you don't have strong Black men in your life consistently, you don't know how to respond to the strength that a Black man brings. And there's something about this African warrior that's in every Black boy that they can either hone it to do the right things or they do the wrong thing with that energy. Either way, that energy is going to come out. Right. And so I'm going to college and I'm now six, 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 seven. I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm the strongest guy, most athletic guy on the team and I'm a hard worker and I'm smart in the classroom. Right. Um, I got the highest GPA of all athletes in the school. So I'm thinking I'm the stuff, right. I got a coach. Who's like my, 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 my grandfather who died when I was 16. Um, He's like, he's from Louisville, Kentucky, similar story as me, grew up tough, tough dude, don't take no stuff, but I am not a speaker or talker. The last thing I wanna do is say something in a crowd of people. I I just wasn't that guy. The the thought of speaking in front of a group of people was the scariest thing ever for me when I was in college. And just a quick story. So we're having this game. Um, And I'm not playing well, and I've seen how coach can be like. This is back in the, the body night days, so this is when coaches hitting you in the chest and all. Yeah, this.
1: yeah, exactly. Threw stuff across the floor.
2: Absolutely. Sometimes that stuff was you. He was throwing across
1: the floor. Yeah, right. And uh, and
2: so he pulls me out of the game. He's mad, and he's going off. He's cursing, cursing, and he said, "You son of a bitch!" And then I just stopped, Right. Something. Just stop me. And I'm looking in this guy's eyes. And I said, my mom ain't no bitch. And he said, what? I said, you heard me. My mom ain't no bitch. Who are you talking to? He said, who you talk to? So now that we're on the sideline and our my teammates are breaking me and the coach up. Right. So we're about to fight. <laughs> like, I'm about to fight. the co- And I am not even that guy. Yeah, t- right. Like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a good guy. I never got in trouble, great grades. But it's something that sparked me when he said son of a bitch. It made me think about my mom. And I'm just like, nobody's going to say anything about my mom. You can call me whatever you want to call me. Yeah. Anyway, so they break us up, game goes on, game ends. We're all walking into the locker room and then I see coach walking towards me and I'm walking across the court. He meets me right in the middle of the court. And I'm like, all right, I'm trying to get myself ready because ain't no guys around now. Nobody's going to break this up, right? And he said, you know what, son? I respect you. He said, I don't blame you. Ain't nobody going to say nothing about my mom either. He said, I love my mom just like you love your mom. He said, so good for you for standing up for yourself. He said, now give me five suicides and then you can come in the locker room. (laughs) (laughs) And he has been... My spiritual for every important decision I make in my life to this day, I call this guy, he's now a pastor of a church. Um, when I was on his team, we had to go to church every Sunday. We had to pray after every practice um, and, and, and being exposed to paying college to college life. I was meeting all these kids from all over the country. And most of us, particularly on the basketball team, came from single parent households. Most of us were were raised in poverty. So you weren't nothing special just because you overcame that. Listen, I got a story over here. This guy did this and this, like, so you weren't special because you made it to college, right? As a matter of fact, this is the bare minimum. Like this is what I learned while I was in college. Like here it was, I had this idea that I, I make it to college and graduate. I've I've made it. You've arrived. It yeah. like, you ain't did nothing. Brother, listen, yeah. like, do you know the world is out here? Yeah. And so college was this, you know, this that made me realize that every level is mind-blowing and that we need to make sure that we are giving kids like me and others access to knowledge access to the people who can help lead them to blow their minds
1: and that's that's again why it is so critical for us like you are now intentional about those expectations because you know what when again when you don't have somebody in your life who's showing you a roadmap while you we get to choose all the way along that journey when there's not someone there to stop us and say like okay all right all right now you graduate from college you have not arrived you have right. a ticket to the next show yes the next show is harder and you're like what i thought it got easy and it got better so tell us now marcus i mean this is this is so enjoyable you graduate from college and i'd love to do just a whole podcast on uh your college experience right <laughs> yeah, yeah. um but that's that's for when i start the uh, for uh, uh boys bourbon and books podcast that's a different one i but, want to invite i want to invite to that one <laughs> yeah you'll get it so so tell me then basketball college degree then what what do what do you do next
2: so I don't I don't get the degree. Um, I leave college early to um, Bernie Biggerstaff. I was uh, became the Division two player of the year. Bernie Biggerstaff says that they got it. And Bernie Biggerstaff was the general manager for the Denver Nuggets. He was friends with my coach and he said, we we think we have a spot for Marcus. Like he could help us with our team. And this was the year after Denver Nuggets had lost to uh, had beat the Seattle Supersonics in the first round of the playoffs. It was the first time a number one seed, a number eight seed be the number one seed. Remember when Matumbo was on the, on the ground with the ball yep. over his Yeah. Um, so I came the year after that. So that's like what, 93? 94. 94. I went in 94. Um, and so I get to the camp. You know, I've never been around an environment like that. You know, I'm playing, I'm, I'm having to practice with Rodney Rogers and all these other players who I saw like Wake Forest and the University of North Carolina, Darnell Mee and Cliff Levingston and uh, Motombo and, and uh, 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 Chris Jackson, who now is uh, Mahmoud Raouf, uh, one of the best shooters I've ever seen. And so I'm in this environment and I'm totally not prepared for it mentally. And I get injured and um, uh, uh, Big Dan is so he, he comes over to me uh, after practice and I'm sitting on the on the on the table. And my, my knee is like this big. And uh, he's letting me know that they're going to have to let me go. And he says to me, he said, Marcus, I could tell something about you. He said, I could tell that you spend a lot of time in the gym. You're a gym rat. Like You work hard at this. He said, the challenge is that there was nobody in there helping you to polish your game, right? So I want you to take this time to really think about how to polish your game, get someone to help you with a couple of small things and then try to come back, right? And so I ended up going and playing overseas for like six years um, until my third or fourth injury in Argentina and then decided that I was gonna hang it up. I came here to Philadelphia for the first time in in 1999 um with the sole purpose of I got to get my degree cuz I left school early. Remember, my whole goal was I got to get a degree. And mm-hmm. so I ended up going to Temple University. I uh, got a degree in psychology and then later on got a degree uh MBA in technology management. And 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 that was kind of what really allowed me to take off in the nonprofit space because being in Philadelphia, I saw the need, I saw the challenges kids were having and families. And people, I was new to the town, to the city. And for whatever reason, people were looking to me as a young person. I was 28, 29 years old, and everyone kept saying, There's something special about you, it's something different about you. Right? It's something different about you. Um and then they would say, Oh, I hear it in the actually, where are you from? Down south? And they say, Oh, that's what it is, right? Um, they always want to put it on because you're from down south and you guys are more hospitality there. You're more genuine. And at the end of the day, that's not what it was. It, it really was. I just love people. I, I had to figure it out. I, 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 I want to serve people well. Mm-hmm. And that has helped me after getting my degree to get in different spaces. I went and worked for a for-profit. Became their COO um, and did that for ten years, and then decided I want to do something to get back. When it became CEO for a little small nonprofit in West Philadelphia, serving uh, single parent Black uh, women coming out of homeless shelters, we would build houses for them and help them go to college, graduate, and the goal, the mission was to break the generational cycle of poverty. Then left after four years, became the CEO for Big Brothers Big Sisters, and so. Um, this was not a strategic path for me, Ted. I didn't see working in nonprofit. I didn't see doing the stuff that I've done. It was really this, this pull towards how can I serve folks better and feel good about it. And I've been lucky my entire life to just do the stuff that makes me feel great.
1: Yeah. So many blessings too, along the journey and great people, right? Absolutely. So last area here to touch upon. So I'm sitting in an audience of 1,200 people in a big uh, conference center. And you get up and you say, everybody in life is facing one of three storms, either the one you're going into, the one you're in, or the one you're walking out of. And I got hit by light. I was like, mm-hmm. man, he stole from my podcast. <laughs> and I know you didn't. But like, what I, My question for you is because like we talked about, right? So being a Buffalo leader is somebody who looks at the storms that they're facing, charges directly into it. Like I'll send you some of these little fun stickers and stuff, but those storms are always there. And my question for you now, with your work with big brothers, big sisters, and in focusing your servant leadership upon bettering the lives of young men and young women, what are the best qualities of mentors that you are looking for? to support the trajectory and, and, and opportunities for the young kids that you serve?
2: For me, the best characteristics of a, of a mentor um, in any realm, we, uh, of course, I'll be selfish, we are definitely looking for mentors at Big Brothers Big Sisters. I don't care where you live, anywhere in this country, uh, any city, there's a Big Brothers Big Sisters there, and I guarantee they have a waiting list. Um, so if you have the time and energy and compassion and desire please uh, reach out to your local Big Brothers Big Sisters. But the, for me, the, the the number one characteristic is this idea of really being able to listen. Most people think they're good listeners, but they're not, right? And most times people know when you're listening to them, even if you're not saying anything, people can tell like your, your mind is somewhere else, right? So you're really looking for someone who, who can be present in the moment, right and compassionately listen to what's happening with our kids we're only asking for you know that you know we believe that to change the the life of a child takes four hours a month for at least 12 months right kids need consistency somebody who can be consistent um someone who is non-judgmental allows them to 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 feel like to patrick Lancioni's thing about being butt naked Right. When you are butt naked with people, it gives them permission to take off their clothes and be butt naked. Right. It's, it, and, 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 and so I do that often. Like you say, well, Mark, you, you have such vulnerability at the stage. The, what I've worked on is how do I accept who I am and then how do I present it in a way that allows people to know that this is me right? and that I don't even care what you think about me. Like if we when we look at mentors, if you have the ability to just accept who you are and be real with yourself, then that's a great quality of a mentor.
1: Yeah, I mean, who who we are today is not who we were, right? Or what made us who we are. And I I love that component of listening because you, you and I go into environments all the time and we are judged. Um I had an interesting experience a few weeks ago when I went and met with a group of young men and young women who were in a gay straight alliance. And I walk in, I have a suit and a tie on. I'm a middle class white guy with glasses and a striped tie, and the whole room dynamic changed. And then they started going through everything, and I said, "Well, hold on a second. I already know all that. Don't worry about it. I have friends, and you know, blah blah." blah. And the kids were like, "What? What you look like?" I was like, "No. Oh, if I would have come in in a t-shirt and shorts, would it have made a difference?" But those constant judgments. So with with the Boys and Girls Club kids, you know, like when I was little, um, my dad's best friend uh, was a big brother to a, a young man named Henry. And Henry was my age and he was in my class and he went to my school. And all of a sudden this man, Mark, showed up with Henry. And I was like, Henry, what are you doing with Mark? And then Mark was like, well, I'm a big brother to Henry. I had no idea this kid I sat next to, first, second, third, fourth grade, Lived in, a, in cyclical poverty with a single mother. He was a quiet guy. He was always a little disheveled. But at the end of the day, like, oh. And since then, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, I'd work a lot with the United Way uh, ransom campaigns. And the whole intent was like, these are the type of nonprofits where their intention by design is to uplift people, empower kids. But more importantly, like you said, with the mentors, just to position them to be these strong, empathetic people, just like the teachers and leaders who listen to the podcast. Last question for you before I get to the, the fun one here. What when you mentor others, is your emphasis for their growth? What do you focus on in everyone you meet?
2: What do I focus on in everyone I meet? I focus in on what they want. Right? And and I try to, and, and for those who don't know what they want, I try to help lead them with questions. Help them to get to what do they want? Like, what is it that you are, because I don't want to waste your time and I don't want to waste my time. Right. So I'm here to serve. Uh, I'm not here to wait, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, what keeps me interested in being a mentor role model coach or what have you to, to young folks. And even I got a couple adults that I mentor as well. Um, you know it's like this guy called me this morning uh, octavius uh he works for the mayor's office in philadelphia and he's just been like a person who just said you're my mentor and it's been going 10 years now and uh so he spent 30 minutes on the call this morning and um you know i was just like okay so how's how's was that was white uh, fiance going we're getting married in september okay how's the job going a couple challenges but this is going well i started my own business and all of this stuff and i'm just listening And it's like, okay, and I just look for where can I add value for you? Mm -hmm. Right. Whether that be emotionally or from help you build confidence, help move obstacles for you. Like I said, you're trying to get somewhere and I know somebody who can help make that easy, build bridges, make connections like that. That that's how I look at being a mentor and the fun part for me. Like, what can I do that can make your life better? Help you get to what you want.
1: Yeah, I love that. I, I one of the things that I will uh, have conversations like that around. Very similar is in order for you to be the best version of yourself, what do I have to do different to get you there? Mm. And and because it, it's all back, it's on both of us, right? And that's yeah. that's a powerful thing. And and what I really appreciate about you, Marcus, and in meeting you down in Florida and then talking to you today is this, this your conscientiousness of the fact that you are an influencer. And not in the sense of like, you know, making people rich and getting them, you know, materials and resources, but getting them to be where they need to be. And, and I, I love your mission. So the last question I have for you is this. What's your 180 song? So I, I have created these playlists when I work together with people. And a 180 song, Marcus, is you're having a bad moment, a bad day. Uh, you're stuck. And all of a sudden, a song comes on and everything changes. Yeah. So if you had one song to define your 180 that would shift your direction, what would it be? Smile by Kirk Franklin. Oh,
2: nice. Right? Yeah, it just is, it's up. even though it's a gospel song, it's upbeat. It's kind of, you know, secular, secular. Um, but I just think about him in the video and it's just, he's dancing and it's just this, it just makes me feel bright. It makes me feel like smiling, right? And for me, one of the greatest things that I think my greatest talent is smiling, right? That's my you greatest have, talent.
1: You, you have a, a big smile. Isn't it a good smile? smile? Yeah. Listen, someone took
2: one time, they said, Marcus, how did you work on showing all 32 teeth when you smile?" <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and I want to be known for that, right? I, yeah, when I walk in a room, like, I think a smile can just change things. And when I hear that song, it makes me think of lighting up the whole room.
1: It's such a powerful thing, because like our relationship just, uh, you know, got a little tighter there, because music is a passion of mine. But everyone has a song. And like I just yesterday, I was working with a, a bunch of high school students and then I had them scan a code and then drop their 180 song into a, a post I put out just for them. And what's amazing to me is I don't know these, these young men and young women, but I know their music, right? right? And then what's powerful is they pick music from their mom or dad, an aunt, an uncle, a coach, something something their captain always played to get everybody fired up. And, and very few of these songs are current. They're all right. like like yesterday, one of the kids one was salt and pepper. There was a rhythm nation. On there. I was like, because I'm a I'm a year older than you. So like that whole time period, like, why are you listening to this? So right. I ask a kid, I'd be like, okay, who put Chubba Wubba up here? That's a horrible song, right? <laughs> well, my mom loves that song. She plays that when she makes <laughs> breakfast, like Chubba Wubba, right? For Ace of bass. It was horrible, but it's all there. But uh Marcus
2: Dancing here, Queen, uh, you know,
1: by Abba. Yeah, little Abba, yeah, we'll, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're getting married soon. That's always on the playlist. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Marcus, this was a joy, and I, I really appreciate you joining us because, like I said, when I saw you, uh, I saw a man uh, who was surrounded by loving people who created the conditions so that you could be a Buffalo and move forward. And uh, what the heck, let's take one more minute. When I told you the Buffalo story, tell us – what you did for fun, or you do for fun?
2: So I was uh, roped into being a, a Buffalo Soldier, where we did enactments of Buffalo Soldier period, authentic themes that happened in the history of the Buffalo Soldier. And those of you who know what, who don't know what Buffalo Soldiers are, they were black soldiers who were allowed to, uh, even slaves, were allowed to fight in the U.S. Army. And so during when we were exploring this country and and there were all these different wars and fights between the white man and the red man meaning the native americans um uh the u.s told black soldiers that if you fought for us you could gain your freedom and so the indians uh, i think it was the apaches that we were, uh, were fighting against and and they gave us the name buffalo soldiers because when they would see uh, a, a whole bunch of platoon of black soldiers riding towards them in battle. And, and it would be all the dust kicking up and they would see these black men on these horses. It was They were dark skinned and they had nappy hair. And they, from afar, they looked like buffalo. <laughs> and it was and, 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 and the Native Americans had a lot of respect for Buffalo because they said when they were attacked, they were some of the most fierce animals on the earth. And so the Buffalo soldiers, the Black soldiers, wore that name as a badge of honor. And that continues to this day, and that, that has lived out over the, the, the this, this entire century. You even had Buffalo soldiers in World War I, but, uh, World War II, and even in Vietnam. And so there are, they are uh, Black leaders and educators around the country who try to keep that story alive.
1: Yeah. Well, if anyone doesn't know this song, they're dead to both of us. (laughs) uh, If you don't know Bob Marley's Buffalo Soldier. No, absolutely. Marcus, here's the deal, my friend. Uh, This was fantastic. Uh, You described that. And here's what I think. And I don't even know this, if you know this about yourself, but I picked up on it in a short period of time. There was a moment at the beginning of the podcast where you grew quite passionate about the conditions that kids and the world needs to be successful. And you spoke about public schools and you spoke about funding and you spoke about zip codes. And I know the listeners can't see us, but you, you, your physical presence changed during that moment. So whatever you need from me or us to fuel that Buffalo soldier so that you can be there for the kids that you Mm -hmm. serve in the communities in which you love, you tell us, because this was a fun conversation. We did a lot of smart thinking reflecting, and I think a whole lot of people are going to get to know a little bit about more more about Marcus Sound, but more importantly, some of the keys and tools uh, to be their best for kids. So, thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you, Ted. This has been wonderful having this conversation with you.
1: So, let's do some smart thinking. Describe how you can advocate for the underdog. List ways in which our influence shapes those around us. And last, describe your blessings. That's it. That's the Smart Thinking Podcast. Hey, as always, thank you for listening, and please rate and share this episode on your platform. And as always, thank you to the Well Pennies for their great music. Now, could you hear his smile? My hope for you with this conversation is that you start to reframe how you look at the world. I As I walk through this journey of life, I keep looking for more people to be in my herd. People like Marcus. They make it easy for me to get stronger, increase my courage to do the right thing, and more importantly, they remind me of why I have to always, always be the best version of myself. Because that's what the world deserves. We need to head into our days charging into the storms we face. I mean, imagine being born with physical challenges, into poverty, and experts saying you won't make it, surrounded by racism and hurdles, and then dedicating your life to the service of others by being an advocate through your own empathy and life experiences. Then imagine that your greatest talent is your smile. I mean, this guy's amazing. Marcus taught me that you can be born with challenges and live blessed moving forward. I'm a fan of the optimist, of the underdog, of the person who falls, pauses, regroups, and moves on. Finding people in your life who are like that, it's important. It fuels your inner buffalo and allows you to move into the storms you are facing with energy and an obnoxious amount of optimism. Today, tomorrow, next week, find people whose worst days are behind them. And you will be near those and others who truly understand that each day is a gift, that it will work out in the end, and that ultimately only one person actually controls our happiness. And that person's you. So let's be intentional in our desire to serve others and take on every storm we are facing. Like Marcus said, we're all facing a storm. The one we just got out of, the one we're in, and the one we're facing. And like we know, there's only one thing to do when we are facing one of those three situations, right? Right? It's to charge.
0: I dedicate this song to recession, depression, and unemployment. This song's for you. Today's a new day. But there is no sunshine. Nothing but clouds and it's dark in my heart and it feels like a cold night. Today's a new day. Uh. But where are my blue skies? Where is the love and the joy that you promised me? Tell me it's alright <laughs> I'll be honest with you I almost gave up, but a power that I can't explain Fell from heaven like a shower now <laughs> When I think how much better I'm gonna be when this is over I You do. I'll smile. Come on, smile. It's so hard to look up when you're down. Show would hate to see you give up now. God's people. You look so much better when you smile. So smile. <laughs> now, every day ain't gonna be perfect. But it still don't mean today don't have purpose. Come on. Today's a new day. But there is no sunshine. In my clouds and it's dark in my heart And it feels like a cold night It ain't easy but Today's a new day But tell me where are my blue skies Where is that love y'all Where is the love and the joy that you promised me Tell me it's alright The truth is I almost gave up But a power that I can't explain That Holy Ghost power y'all Fell from heaven Take a shower now Now I know we've been hurt y'all But still I smile Come on Even though i hurt See I smile y'all feel that? You're in right now. Smile, smile, smile for me. Smile, can you just smile for me? <laughs> and my people say, oh, oh, oh. You look, so much you uh, oh, oh, oh. look in the mirror you so much you <laughs> oh, oh. Always remember you so much you Come on. I almost gave up I almost oh, gave up, up. Oh, can't But the Holy Ghost power y'all Fell from heaven Came down from, from heaven. heaven Hardships difficulties right Tears That feels good I know God is working So I smile All things are working Even though I've been it for a while Still I smile hey. Smile Hallelujah. It's so hard to look up when you've been down I know it's hard right now sure would hate to see you give up now Because you're a winner You look so much better when you smile You look better So smile I want you to be happy, cause then you gotta have something happen there. I want you to have joy, cause can't nobody take that from you. <laughs> I see you, smiling. Y'all want some more? Y'all want some more of that? Are y'all sure y'all want some more of that?